It's been over a year now since In The Key Of Q launched. In our archive, you can find over 50 interviews of queer musicians from around the world and hear their music from rap Unaware of my proclivities to self-sabotage to country soul and rock. These episodes are available on the main feed. You can access them via the website at inthekeyofq.com or wherever you normally listen to podcasts. This is Dan here. Thanks for downloading this episode. Many thanks to our listeners who are financially supporting the podcast over at patreon.com slash in the key of Q. You are genuinely helping to keep the series in production and more importantly to give us space for queer voices to be heard. My guest this week hails from Brisbane in Australia, but has made South London his home. In this episode, we chat about queer attitudes towards Asian men and the racism and fetishization that grows from it. And more importantly, we talk sex positive. Lots. Share your thoughts about today's episode on social media, use the hashtag queer music or email me direct on podcast at in the key of Q.com. And if you've a moment, please do subscribe, rate and review the show on your podcast provider. All that's left to say is enjoy the episode. I didn't understand why no one was hard. I was kind of like, we're in the dark room. Isn't that the point? Yeah. Am I that unattractive? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah but- <laughs> These are the lessons that life gives us. Hello, I'm Dan Hall. When I grew up, I almost never heard pop songs where openly queer men sang about their truths, and it made me feel invisible. There were the occasional heroes like Jimmy Somerville, Mark Almond, and Andy Bell, but in the tsunami of 1980s heteronormative pop, I felt silenced. But these days, there are plenty of songs where I can hear openly queer men singing their truths, and this podcast is all about finding and sharing this music and speaking with the musicians who create it. Music helps us feel connected, feel heard, and know that we are not alone on our queer journey. You're listening to In The Key Of Q. In 2018, my guest released Don't Say His Name, and on the back of that hit, toured 20 shows in six different countries. He is currently working on his first EP titled Sex, Cologne, and Cigarettes, which is described as, quote, a story of Tin's fuckboy lifestyle in electronic pop form, close quote, which I think sounds marvelous. A big hello to Tin. Tin, hello. Hello. Hello, hello, hello. It's in the way you're staring, in the way you're slurring. Illuminating out tonight, you get to out your glass. Do you wanna play me? Do you wanna play? Cause if you do, then I'm setting you into disarray. With my stick fist up, oh, 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 I'll make a bird run cold. Cause the lights go dim when I walk in the smoke will arise. Prepare yourself, cause I'm one hell of a nasty surprise. I'll do Normally I say, now, can you tell us a bit about yourself? Tell us about your story. Frankly, I don't give a shit right now. I want to know, I want to know what the story of Tin's fuckboy lifestyle in electronic pop form is all about. (laughs) You know, I, it wasn't until I moved here from Australia that I really discovered my sound, my vibe, what I really like. Um, And I guess, you know, London is such a rich city that it allowed for me to discover what I love most about myself. And I would write about that. And one of the things that I 
um, really learned was how to love my looks and love, you know, how I behave around people. And then, yeah, that would often translate to me being a fuckboy. And I decided to start writing about that. And, you know, I was kind of like, there's not really much of this, as you said in your opening, there's not really much of this out there in the world. And I want to normalize, for lack of a better word, um, the, the conversation around, you know, gay men thinking about being a gay man. <laughs> Plus, like one time I asked a guy why he didn't call me when I ran into him in London after I'd given him my number a few weeks earlier. And he was like, because you're a fuckboy. And I was like, excuse me? You don't know me at all. And thank you for calling me out. But what's a fuck? What is a fuckboy? Is, is it supposed fuck- to be? Oh, is, sorry, is it supposed Jan, to be? A, I, didn't know, it- I didn't know that you didn't <laughs> know what that meant. <laughs> I didn't know that that's what you're asking. Um, no, no, but is it supposed to, is it supposed to, what I meant more is it, is it, to, I mean, I'm guessing it's someone who fucks a lot, but is it supposed to be a term of shaming? Is it a shaming expression that people are supposed to hurl at you and um, you're kind of reclaiming it? Um, yeah, I guess so. I mean, I don't know about shame, maybe more like a negatively tinted, uh, negatively tinted umbrella term in the dating world when you meet someone and, you know, they pretend to be the type that you want to introduce to your mum, but they're not really deep down. But there's there's so much of this sex shaming going on within the gay community and it really pisses me off because I remember when I started on prep and people on Grindr would say to me things like, um, oh, you're on prep. Oh, are you some kind of prep slut? Oh, and I would gosh. just think, and I would just be like, don't be on Grinder and try to sex shame me. <laughs> You're fucking on Grinder. <laughs> so can you tell me where that sex positivity comes from? I used to be the chubby kid when I was younger. And um, I, uh, you know, really dealt with that. Just like not looking like all the, all the other skinny white boys in school growing up. And then suddenly I lost all my weight when I was like 16 or 17, <clears throat> but I still had that view of myself that I was that chubby little kid. And, you know, as I said before, it wasn't really until I came to London that I discovered that I can be beautiful or I just, and I discovered that I can actually be sexy. Like that is accessible and achievable for me. Did you find that there was any sort of leftover gremlins from that because I I was also very much the fat kid and I found that I have used sex probably quite negatively in a lot of my adult life for validation because I still carry these sort of negative things and I and I I really love having sex as as long as that sex is because I'm feeling horny where sex can get toxic for me is where I realize I'm having sex to try and validate myself because I have low self-esteem that it echoes back from when I was the fat boy. Yes, yes, yes. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, <clears throat> especially when, um, especially when I'm working for brands like Andrew Christian, for example, and like, I'll be on the field as a promo boy. And like, as soon as for a lot of people, as soon as you say that brand, like there's a whole world of expectation and reputation with that brand that I suddenly put onto myself, like this burden that I put onto my own shoulders that obviously like most of the time is probably not even there for them, but I'm, I all, all usually, you know, sometimes go into this tunnel of like, Oh my God, they don't think I look like an Andrew Christian boy. And I could be 10% leaner. 
I shouldn't have eaten all that cake. <laughs> I shouldn't have licked that lettuce leaf three yeah, days ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shame on me. <laughs> it was the lettuce's fault. Now, I am not particularly clothes-minded. In fact, I get most of my clothing from Sports Direct in Brixton. So okay. could you could you explain this? <laughs> Can you tell me when you don't know what I'm talking about? What I'm talking about? <laughs> so could you tell me about this brand? What does it mean and what does I'm it from represent? It's a country called Australia. <laughs> It's on the other side of the world. <laughs> Andrew Christian um, is an international underwear brand based in LA. Calling up your squad, your baby, I got mad. With someone point the bitches by the poison there inside. Pouring up the shots now, give me your best shot. And now we're losing all confusion. I blow this up. So I grew up in a city called Brisbane. Uh, and so when people say like, oh, Australia with its amazing weather, they usually mean Brisbane. Um, and it's like kind of coastal. And I was, what was I like as a child? I was pretty loud, flamboyant, uh, but still like, still scared of people, I think is probably the best way to say it. Um especially when I started partying and, you know, meeting all these like different people. Um, I would often pretend to be, you know, excitable and confident and all that kind of stuff. But at the heart of myself being terrified, I say I got bullied in high school, but it was like two days or something like that. Actually, I think come to think of it, I think it was just like not having been the same as all these other guys that I would see. Um, especially being first generation Vietnamese in Australia, um, you know, there weren't many, there not as many uh, other Asians that I would relate to in the schools that I went to. So um, because I didn't seem like, you know, all these white guys that loved football, for example, um, then I would often feel, you know, separate. I think the other side of the coin that I'm also not saying is that a lot of the other um, Asian people that I would see in school or in my community weren't Australian born as well. So it'd be kind of like I wouldn't fit in with the white Australians, but I also wouldn't fit in with the non-Australian Asians. Does that communicate? Absolutely. Yeah. And so I'm in this like really small margin, you know, uh, minority group now. Um, and it felt, I don't know, I think it was kind of like, I don't know where I would fit in. And the experience was like kind of always trying to find a place to fit in. So much of your music, so much of your work is really, has a really wonderfully sex positive attitude. So I've got to ask you, can you tell us about that first moment when you suddenly thought, I'm really fucking horny? I started um, fooling around with guys when I was like 18 and then lost my visa at 19. Um, I think it was like a week after that where I went clubbing and, you know, that look that a guy gives you where you know that you're a surefire 
to go home with them. You're like, I'm flat on my back already. I am <laughs> hailing the cab. <laughs> like as soon as, uh, cause my friend invited me to a pre-drinks and, um, it was like his friend who was hosting. And are you, you're still in Brisbane at this point? Yeah, still in Brisbane. Okay. Yeah. And I literally opened the door. And the moment he looks at me, I was like, okay, we're, we're in. We're done for the night. And I don't know, everything in between that and me going home with him for this one night stand was just like faffing about really <laughs> before the inevitable. <laughs> I think that was the first moment because this guy was just like, I don't know, a bit of an Adonis and... Um, like porn star type and then would later end up being my eyebrow waxer <laughs> my goodness he just rose and rose didn't he <laughs> and did you fuck him again <laughs> i think i think we tried but the 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 moment was just not there One time I was hooking up with a guy in Melbourne and then his uncle came home suddenly, but I didn't realize what was going on. And I was just like speaking at my normal volume and for him to suddenly shut me up, he was rather broad. He literally just like laid on me, just like, literally, just like starfished on me. He's like, you need to be quiet now. And I was like, what the hell is going on? Why are you lying on me? I can't breathe. But you're also thinking, oh, I like this. I like this constriction. <laughs> And that is how I found out I had a fetish for huge broad men lying on me and stopping me breathing. <laughs> That's what I liked. Elephants. <laughs> <laughs> so what, at some point you left Brisbane, what was your exit and why did you leave? I really hustled in Brisbane and having grown up there, I really thought that, that was kind of like the be all and end all of what the world had to offer, what music, the, what the music industry was like. Uh, yeah. And I, yeah, done a few music videos, but didn't really experience like building anything or getting anywhere. And so, um, I came to the realization that there was no pull or admiration for pop music in Australia or the kind of pop music that I make anyway. And, um, I was kind of like, I got to go to a different country that has a community that does pull for this kind of music. And it was either London or LA. And at the time I was really into years and years as well. So I was like, okay, let's move to London and then we'll see how that goes. And yeah, at this time, at the time I was kind of like, or is it just that I suck? You know, like, do I just suck and I, no one's telling me and I don't know it and, or, you know, or is it where I am? And Thank goodness it was actually where I am. <laughs> so I came to London and started releasing new music. And that's when um, like things started really moving. So that's when I was like, okay, it's not, it's not because I suck. And I think at the time as well, I was rather naive. I had no idea what moving to London was going to be like. I thought it was going to be like similar to Australia. There's just like a whole lot of white people speaking English in a different way. And I, you know, I would never say that doing what I did was easy, but it was absolutely worth it. The, the experience of having so much opportunity at my fingertips when I moved here was so bizarre. You know, like I'd meet people and they'd be like, oh yeah, I'm 
I'd meet people and they'd be like, oh, I'm friends with Oli Alexander. Oh, I'm, I just hung out with MNEK the other day. Oh, I ran into Sam Smith at a party. <laughs> just casually. You know, yeah, oh, but- I turned down Dua Lipa at a club when I was on the door. <laughs> yeah, but often though, those people are full of shit. <laughs> But you know, like that shit, like that, 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 none of that even happens in the peak of Australia. Like, not even in Melbourne when I was living there. You know, 2018, I ended up touring the UK, and I had a show in Denmark that year as well. Um, and I guess that was the first taste of what was really possible for me if I worked for it. Every small win. Um, not only brings me closer, but also reignites that flame inside of me to keep going. There are, there are several aspects to being a musician that I, that can be categorized. You know, there's the being a recording artist in the studio and there's being, you know, a performer on stage, which are two very different things. Like even at a point I have to learn to sing differently for each uh, aspect. Um, and performing on stage is what I love doing most. And what I love about it, yeah, I love being with people. I love connecting with people. I'm very grounded in that music is how I love to communicate with people and standing on stage, seeing everyone, you know, connect with me and me connect with them through music. Um, that experience of like, I don't know, this sounds a bit naff, but like oneness with people mm-hmm. is really moving for me and for you how important has your queer identity been to you both as a as a man but also as a musician when i would record when i was you know in australia there the whole con there's no like really substantial thing called a queer community when the city is so small compared to london and so I didn't really know how much it was going to end up being a part of my brand and my um, message as an artist. Um, But I think, especially in the last few years, um, being vocal about my, you know, my sexuality and who I am um, is really important, but not just for me to express myself as an artist, but I know that when I speak up, I give permission for other people who are in my position to speak up to. You know, I know that there are a lot of Asian men and you know, Asian queer men out there who are really suppressed. And, you know, I, I do what I do. I'm as loud as I am, especially around you know, being sex positive, to give those who are suppressed permission to really free themselves as well. Like a meteorite, a vision so vivid and bright It's all starting to make sense, and I feel so alive Yeah, I love you babe, I do, but not in that way Please forgive me as you cry, your tears will dry I'm sorry, oh I'm sorry But when I kiss you, no, it doesn't burn I'm sorry, oh, I'm sorry. I know what I like and I like it. My best friend is um, it's like white Australian, you would say. Um, and he and I would discuss 
the kind of people that we'd meet on Grindr and the kind of attention that we would get. And I would often find myself, I would just get really upset hearing about how much attention he would get compared to how little I would get. And this very much was like a recurring thing. So I just learned not to talk to like my white Australian friends about the attention that they got on Grindr. I would explain to people that I'd go on Grindr in Brisbane and it would be like trying to find a needle in a haystack. But then like the attention I would get in London was just so starkly different. Like when I started getting as much attention as I do now, it was weird. It was jarring for me. You know, it was kind of like, are you talking to me? Like, are you, I don't know if you're, is there anyone else here that you're talking to? I'm just here, but you can't possibly be talking to me, you know? And um, I'd be getting with guys that, you know, at the time, I'd just be like, wow, how'd I score you? Which is obviously such an unhealthy thing to think about oneself. But that's, that was kind of like the difference in um, mindset for me, um, having moved here. I did often experience being like fetishized by rice queens. And that would be, I don't know, there's just like an ickiness that comes with being on the receiving end of being fetishized. Um, and oh, just like some of the shit that people would say to me in clubs, assuming, you know, with all the assumptions and stereotypes that come with being a gay Asian male, um, would drive me crazy. And what are those? Um, I'll more often than not, just that you're like a submissive bucket bottom, (laughs) um, who's ready to, you know, take it at a moment's notice and not, not in like, uh, because I love it. It, it'd be like, uh, oh, you should be grateful that you can get anything. You dirty little sub pig, Dan. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I lost myself there for a second. <laughs> oink, 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 oink. <laughs> Something I wanted to ask you about is I've been, I've now recorded, it's been 20 episodes of this podcast. You're the first artist I think I've interviewed that's actually got a top or a bottom described in their lyrics that actually makes reference to them. I know, I, th- I think I know. Oh my God, you must have really done your research if you knew. <laughs> Thank you for listening to my lyrics, Dan. I really appreciate it. When people, I really do, because I put so much hard work into not writing cheap, shitty, generic lyrics. And so when people actually say, like when people discuss what I write, that actually really excites me. So firstly, thank you for that. In fact, so many of your songs are, there's not always happy horny, but there's just this level of, there's this kind of you know some songs you listen to and they seem like oh there's a hint of rose petals about that or yes. there's there's a hint of this and your songs just have a sort of hint of an old bottle of amyl <laughs> well you know the thing is i think um as human beings like that expression of sexuality is there for most of us and i don't know what happened along the way but it became shameful and embarrassing to talk about sex and i'm here to be like chill the fuck out <laughs> like we all have sex you're here because of sex why why are you suppressing yourself <laughs> you know and i and yeah as i said before um about you know songs that i love 
I love songs that make me feel myself. And when people, when people listen to my music, I want them to be feeling themselves too. So that's probably the undertone that you're talking about. <laughs> well, it was difficult for me to do that because the last time I heard your music was this morning when I was, uh, obviously I was listening to it before then because uh, to have reached out to you, but when uh, the day I interview artists, I always make sure I listen to as much of their catalog as I can. And I was out running listening to it. So it's quite difficult to touch myself whilst, whilst doing that. <laughs> thought you're going to be like, because I don't have arms. Yeah. yeah. Even though, <laughs> even though I was running through the beat on Clapham Common at the time. And oh I really God, was. Do you, do, you, <laughs> do you use the term beat as well? You know, no one here uses the term beat. Australians use it. Do you know, it's funny. I I only use, I think I only use it because I have Australian friends. So my lovely friend Shane and my lovely friends, Brad, Brad is back in Brisbane now, but uh, they use the term, the beat. And I kind of, and I think it's kind of nicer than cruising ground because I'm quite lazy and cruising ground's got too many syllables. (laughs) And also it just sounds very, very perfunctory. Whereas beat is, is really kind of beat just sort of feels like, belts unbuckling and cocks out and (laughs) muddy knees. (laughs) I was going to say cool, but yeah, muddy knees is good too. (laughs) Um, That is so, that makes sense why you use the word amel as well. I'm going to write a song about you. It's called (laughs) Drippy Nose. (laughs) Shit. Don't edit that out. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'll leave that in. Shane will love that. Everyone who's having sex at some point in their life has been having sex with someone while thinking about someone else, but no one talks about it. And yet we all don't. Do it. That's, that's, a, don't, that's so, so true. Yeah. And like everyone does it, but no one talks about it. And it drives me crazy. And I, and yeah, that's one of the most important things that I love to do as a musician and songwriter is that I write about things that people experience or they do that no one's, you know, explicitly talking about. What I like also, the other thing that no one ever talks about is when sex is not, not good and not bad, but just, just a little bit disappointing. Yeah. Oh God, that's so awful. I mean like, yeah, mass sex is the worst because you can't walk away and laugh about it. I think I should start a podcast, just tales of mediocre sex. I <laughs> <laughs> would blow up. I, um, I had a similar experience when I went to XXL for the first time, but I was dumb and naive and it, I went, decided to go during uh, a sober month. And oh, it's just awful. I mean, like everyone there is gacked off their faces while I'm sober and like techno music. I don't even listen to techno music. And then I go, I'm like, I'm about to go because I have work at like 10 a.m. and it's 3 a.m. And I'm like, oh, like I should go check out the dark room, which I didn't know was like a vortex of like self-esteem issues, basically. (laughs) (laughs) And, And so now, and like everyone's like walking into me. I have my glasses on. Now my glasses are dirty. I'm sober. Everyone's gacked. (laughs) and I'm just like fanging for some dick before I go to work five hours later. It was awful. I think I cried on the way home because I felt so ugly afterwards. And of course, because they're all off their faces, none of them were hard. Yes. Yeah. 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 That's right. And I didn't understand. I didn't understand why no one was hard. 
And I was kind of like, we're in the dark room. Isn't that the point? You live and you learn, Dan. <laughs> Am I that unattractive? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah but- <laughs> These are the lessons that life gives us. The Tim, can you tell us what uh, other queer artists are you listening to at the moment? I hate when people ask me this question. Do you know why, Dan? Ask me why. Because why? I'm usually listening to myself. No, that's brilliant. <laughs> because I mean, most of the time I'm like, okay, I have this next song that's coming out. I need to like fine tune it. And so I'm just listening to the same song. I've been listening to the same like five songs for my next EP for the last like six months, I think. But you know, I get exactly that. People say to people say to me, what other podcasts are you listening to? And it's like, darling, by the time I've listened to two, three cuts of each episode, I've only got time to listen to my own stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's exactly how it is. You know how it is. You know how it is, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> now, for those people who want to find out a bit more about you, where can they find you online? So all of my social handles, except for Twitter, is Tin Official Music, which was one character too long for Twitter, which is Tin Official AU. <laughs> so it's not Tin Official Bukaki. <laughs> It's not tin official. Let me tell you what spit roasting is. <laughs> Can you tell us what do you think your 15-year-old self would make of you and make of the man that you've become now? Oh, I think he'd be like, thank fuck. I think when like when someone has like shitty self-esteem with themselves, um, like it, it obviously shows in how they present themselves too. And I, I look back at myself and I'm like, wow, that really shows that I did not love myself. And um, I think over the years, you know, yeah, I grew into my looks, but I also really learned how to present myself in a way that showed myself off best, in my opinion, anyway. Um, so yeah, so he'd probably be like, thank fuck. And how did you learn to do that? I keep thinking about this one show where. Um, is uh, a show on Lime Wharf, the Shay Shay show. Uh, it's the show's not around anymore, but uh, it was for the second time I'd ever performed on that show, and I think the theme was like talking was uh queer Asians, and um how Shay Shay had introduced me was it started off with this conversation of like you know just because we're Asian doesn't mean we're all sub bottoms, you know, ready to be dominated. Um, Asians can actually be dominant and Asians can actually be sexy too. Speaking of which, here's Tin. And I didn't know that I was going to get introduced like that. So now I'm like, fuck, now I have to back it up. I have to fucking back it up now. (laughs) Because I'm not going to walk on stage and be like, oh, I was introduced to sexy and I feel, I don't feel confident right now. Like this is one of those times where I got to step the fuck up. And so um, after my first song, the crowd was like, take it off. And so I took off my jacket. And then after my second song of three songs, um, the crowd was like, take it off. And I was like, um, are you guys serious? Like, if you want me to take off my top, I will. And they went crazy. And so I did that. And I sang topless for the first time um, for my last song. And I think that's the, that was the beginning 
of it. That was like the beast being unleashed where I was like, okay, I can do this. I'm one of those people that gets applauded when I take off my clothes. So let's roll with it and see how it feels. And I love it. The music video that I've just released, I think shows, you know, a different angle of what I'm capable of. Um, and that, you know, that sexually expressive side of me is there as well. And that's, you know, going back to our conversation of be, being a fuckboy, I think what I wanted to, what I want to portray, because this EP has so many different angles of who I am, is that, yes, someone can be a fuckboy, but there are so many different aspects to these labels that people give us. And so this guy who labeled me as a fuckboy, he doesn't know me. He doesn't know that, you know, why I do the things I do. And I think why I created this conversation of my EP being about being a fuckboy is more so kind of like, there's more to me than you think. Does that communicate? Yeah. 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 Hopefully it doesn't communicate too well. Otherwise I'll have no need to listen to the EP. (laughs) Get excited then, dad. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> prepare those knees we need to get some knee pads <laughs> god that's so true <laughs> these, these old knees <laughs> now tin we've been listening to clips from your music all the way through this episode but if there was one song of yours that acted as a fantastic gateway drug to get spotify and apple subscribers addicted to your content what do you think that would be it would be don't say his name um i mean i released it three years ago, but I think that song still has a very special place in my heart. Um, and you know, exemplifies me as an artist or at least at this point in my career. Um, so don't say his name is where the party's at. Deliciously addictive. It wants me, but I want you bad. I haven't let go. Call me naive, call me sad But when we leave for you, I'll come back I'm gonna fucking with you on my mind Go for pages, say his name Fucking with you on my mind Go for pages, say his name I'm gonna fuck him till he sees a light Did I hear you say his name? Don't say his name Don't say his name You are the legend, he is a lie A misconception Thank you so much for joining us on In the Key of Q with your filthy, come bedraggled tales and music. It's been lovely to have you. Thank you so much for having me. I think you are the perfect person to have those conversations with death. <laughs> and may we never see each other in a dark room. Yeah. Oh, we wouldn't, <laughs> would we? <laughs>
Many thanks for listening to this episode with Tin. Remember to listen to him on the usual streaming platforms and find links to his homepage in the show notes. We have exclusive Key of Q content over at patreon.com slash in the key of Q. And there you can join other listeners by supporting the show's production costs for as little as five US dollars a month. Tell me what you thought about today's episode with Tin on social media using the hashtag queer music or email me direct on podcast at in the key of Q.com. And rate and review the show on your podcast provider. It really helps. Our theme tune is by Pauline Edu at unstoppablemonsters.com. Thanks to Paul Smith, our PR guru, and digital brand manager, Olivier Name. And thanks also to Kajen Kanther and Murray Lang for their support in making this episode. The show is presented and produced by me, Dan Hall, and made at Pup Media Consultancy. I will see you next Tuesday. I'm gonna find-